Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Stuck in the 80s, it's your old pal Spearsy And Brad in the bookstore And today we talked to Sky McDonald, author of the 80s fiction novel The Not-So-Nice Girl We are going to give you some new clothes Matching suits, nice suits, nice Because you are nice boys yeah. <laughs> Except maybe for you Today's episode is sponsored by Oh no, Spearsy, the 80s cruise 2024 voyage is sold out What? Did we book a cabin? Well, I hope so. We're hosting a trivia on the ship. Maybe we're being helicoptered on board for those. Oh. oh. Hey, you don't think... Maybe we're being booked onto a separate luxury yacht that sails behind the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. And that's where the chopper takes us after each two nights over. Oh, 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 or, or we're sleeping in a lifeboat. Cool. Oh, uh, wait. Mine's better. How is that fun? Because I'm sharing it with Sheena Easton. Mm, fair point. Fair point. That'd work. So, uh, just in case someone wants to join the wait list, do you think you should read the lineup of artists? It's probably not a bad idea. Here we go. Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with a couple helicopter pilots, MTV DJs Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring 2024 for a week-long trip on board the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. <laughs> Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, The English Beat, Soft Sills, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Box, Stephen Piercy, Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Animotion, Real Life, Escape Club, When in Rome, Tommy Two-Tone, and more. Yes, the cruise is officially sold out. But cabins do open up when people have their plans change. So, cruise on over. Ooh, see what I did there? To www.the80scruise.com for more information and to sign up for the waitlist. Plus, you'll be the first to know when the 2025 lineup is announced. And now, Spearsy, I always wanted to say this line. Get to the chopper! Get to the, get to the, get to the, get to the chopper! Hey gang, this week's episode is an interview with Sky McDonald. She's the author who just recently released an 80s-themed fiction novel titled The Not-So-Nice Girl. And before you ooh and ah over the title, yes, there is a little quote-unquote action in the book. Action? We'll talk about that during the interview. It's mm. it's not a romance novel. Let me make that clear. Or anything crazy like that. I'm Are not reading you about. Sure? It's not Fabio type stuff. There's no. Uh, Is it a dirty book, wins- Steve? Is it a dirty book? It's, n- it's not a dirty book. Okay. okay. Uh, I'll stop asking it is- questions if the book's <laughs> content is titillating. Is there 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 are a couple uh, scenes that are a little saucy, but uh, mm. I, I have I have uh, no no no. Okay. <laughs> I, I give it a clean. Well, what do I give so, it? Is it like an R? Hard R? It's an it's NC like an NC seventeen. Yeah, oh, we're adults at one here. Part. You're listening to this podcast. Part. Not 
not 99% of it is good old fashioned 80s American fun. But maybe not an audiobook for driving the carpool to middle school. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, be, Noted. Be, be, anyway, it's set in the summer of 1986, hence, we're talking about it on the show. Uh, it's set in Nashville, Tennessee, centers around a 20 something named Eleanor who's trying to spend her summer break avoiding her family and any boyfriend drama. But of course, as the title sort of implies, she's not very successful at that mission. It happens. Thus we get a story, right? <laughs> uh, if you're curious, we open the show with Just Like Heaven because some of the action, uh, pun intended, I suppose, happens at a record store right about the time when The Cure's Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me was released. And that record figures into the plot. So, ha-ha. What? Okay, now I might Cop- have to read this on my vacation. Co- copyright lawyers, come after me all you want. <laughs> the uh, Bring the heat. It's a good story. It, it's, a, it's a story about, you know, what it was like to be young in the 80s, which... <laughs> we, <laughs> what else are we listening oh, to this podcast God. for, right? Except to get a drink from the water fountain next to the fountain of youth here. Yeah, send, low Lord, send me an angel and... <laughs> Have it have it hold me up in its mighty grasp and bring me back to that beloved decade. Mm. Uh, it's well a story said, of mutual attraction. There's a feisty romp, of course. There's an ending that's uh, very satisfying. Whether it's happy or sad satisfaction, I'm not going to reveal it this time oh, or are any you, time. Are you seriously pulling the middle school book report? <laughs> you want to know how it ends? Read the book. Turns out he kills wow. the whale. Wow. So. Yeah. Actually, you know what? No, it's, the boat I never sinks. read Moby Why Dick. Why am I watching Titanic? <laughs> I, I never read Moby Dick. Does does he get the whale? Um, if I remember correctly, and I'm sure the English teachers and the librarians who listen, I know there are some, will correct there are, me. Definitely. But I think the whale swims off with Ahab tangled up in his harpoon lines behind him. Like he catches the whale, but really the whale uh, catches him. Wow, what a mighty boat, metaphor. The boat sinks, <laughs> and Ishmael survives. By riding out on Queequeg's coffin. Oh my God, that's, that's my fantastic. Which I don't know if Queequeg's in it. I think he might have just died someplace else, but he had carved this whole coffin, if I remember correctly. I read this in senior English for AP English, was like we used it as first material for many, many essays. So the I, thing that I always mm. remember that I think is funny is our English teacher had to skip over the chapters that were just very detailed technical descriptions of the process of whaling. So I'm like, oh, this is a great book. And people are like, this is the most boring thing I've ever read. I realized, oh, I skipped all the boring parts, the extra boring parts, maybe. <laughs> I never, it was never assigned to me. Like, I read, <laughs> read The Great Gatsby like four times and never did better than a B plus on any of the tests. I think I've, <laughs> but never read Moby Dick. Silas Marner, yes. Um, what else? Scarlet what Letter? Yeah. Scarlet Letter, yes. Be true to thyself. Isn't that, be true to thyself? Is, isn't that the, Lesson we learned there. Uh, mainly, I remember uh, Hester Prynne and Reverend Stimsdale, and her daughter's name was Pearl, which kind of stood out to me. Yeah, very 1950s Atlanta, Georgia. Speaking of Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't even believe I said this, Atlanta, Georgia figures into the plot a little bit what? of uh, the not so nice girl. It's it's, it's set I love in the how south. you found a way to get us back on track. I'm, I'm intrigued by the title. Brad's looking at the notes. He can see that that is not in the notes. I just, just kind of came up out of nowhere. Anyway, like I said, I will not reveal the end of the book at this time. But, That's quite uh, all right. But you were, I remember you were texting me about it when you were reading it. It sounded like you just flew through it. Yes. It's a fun, fast, it's a good summer read. It's full of a lot of 80s references that uh, 
fans of the podcast will enjoy. I think it took me maybe two weeks, which is kind of a record for me because I tend to only read like one chapter in a book each night before I go to bed. Uh, I don't need to know any more than that. Let's move on. (laughs) Okay, then sit back and enjoy my conversation with the not-so-nice-girl author, Sky McDonald. Sky McDonald, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Um, Now, I know that as a 56-year-old male, I may not be the target audience uh, for your book, The Not-So-Nice Girl, um, but I'm here to tell you I loved it. I rolled through it. I think I read it in record time for for any book lately. Oh, I'm so delighted. You are absolutely in my target audience because my target audience is everybody. You may not be my highest demographic read, but I like to create stories that everyone enjoys. So that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Your, your publisher told me, maybe you want to have your wife read this book instead. I'm like, oh, no, if you're saying that, then now I really want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's for everybody. And, you you know, I've had several men say that I was their gateway into romance or they had never read a romance before me. And I'm always honored to be a first. <laughs> I want to say that I probably had read my sister. I have a younger sister. I probably read a couple of her Judy Bloom books. And so that's mm-hmm. about the closest I've ever come to it. Gotcha. Um, let me set the stage um, for our listeners so they know a little bit more about you. I, I went to high school and college in the 80s. I graduated high school in 85. Are we close in age? No. <laughs> I was born. I was born. Uh, but uh, no, I was a wee baby at that time. So, yeah, uh, I am more of a 80s baby, 90s kid, as you were, as you wow. were. Interesting. Yeah. So, so for you, it must have been a little bit more challenging to, to set this novel in uh, the summer of '86. I did my research for sure. Um, I had to do a lot of looking, especially around what was out then and what wasn't. You know, in terms of albums, music. I even did research on what Saturday morning cartoons they would have been watching for accuracy. But uh, yeah, it was kind of like writing a historical book in so much as I really needed a lot of context about what was going on. There's not a lot of like current events listed in this book, like things of the day. So for example, in 86 Chernobyl was a thing, um, pretty big thing in fact, but um, those are not really mentioned. It's really focused on the summer and the friends, but for sure it did take a lot of like review and then also getting even more specific into what was going on in Nashville at the time. Um, and the music scene specifically around there, because there was it was still largely country at that point. Well, so why not set your book in 96? Why, why set it in 86? OK, great question. Um, the answer is <laughs> a math flub. So this book is technically <laughs> a prequel to my first ever released novel, which is called Not Suitable for Work. It is the story of that character's parents. So. When I wrote that book, she was in her late 20s, and I created that book all the way back in 2014. And then it didn't release until 2019. And then obviously this book just came out here in 2023. So when I wrote the book in 2014, it stood to reason that her parents would be falling in love around the mid 80s, but quite almost 10 years now has passed. So mathematically, you kind of it's like, don't look over there, (laughs) Um, because it doesn't add up on a timeline really, but I had already drafted this book. I drafted this book back in 2017. And I really like doing the work with the 80s. I love how the 80s is having a moment right now. And 
So I was like, you know what? It's not that important. Let's go with it. Because my current series is just sent currently, right? So it, it, it doesn't really have a specific year. Um, so I just decided to go with it. When, when you go back and you look at 86 and you're researching that, that, that period of time, were, were there uh, bands or movies that you discovered that you hadn't heard of previously that you kind of, you know, caught the bug for? Okay. So my first answer is kind of a no to that, which is one of the things that really amused me about doing this book was realizing how the Red Hot Chili Peppers were this underground California band. And I mentioned it in the book, uh, Eleanor is a fan, but I, while I do like the Chili Peppers later work, I honestly, when I went and listened to their first or to this um, album, I was like, mm, not so much. Uh, I got really into The Cure as I was as I was writing this book, which it's not like I didn't know them, but I got really into them. And other than that, like I've been a big fan of 80s movies uh, that running from like teen movies to sci fi. So it was just kind of more fun to revisit, I guess, you will. I, I'm always amazed um, when I look back at the Red Hot Chili Peppers and I realized they, I think they came around, I think they were founded in 84. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in college uh, in the second half of the decade, they were performing pretty much once a year in Gainesville uh, at the University mm. of Florida where I went to school and they would get arrested every single time, <laughs> every single time. It was just like a joke. Like you actually bought a ticket to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, you're going to see about 15 minutes and then, they're going to take their pants off. They're going to put a sock <laughs> right where you think they're going to put a sock and they're going to spend mm-hmm. the rest of the night in jail. And, and <laughs> I, I was, I was amused, you know, to find, you know, of course in the nineties, they kind of grew, grew out of the mm-hmm. whole wearing a sock as underwear. Oh, yeah. team. But uh, no, I mean, they were, they were there. They just weren't, uh, <laughs> they weren't making right. the waves quite yet. Not at all. Not at all. But it, it was, very fun and very interesting to realize how how long they had been working and how different their sound has been, you know. Yeah. And the sock thing, I had actually almost forgotten about that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was every single year. It was just like <laughs> if you work for the student newspaper, you wanted to do that story because you knew it'd be over. The show started at eight. It'll be they'll be arrested by eight thirty. You still make deadline. You can amazing. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, and I was going to ask you this: the book is set in Nashville, and. Mm-hmm. Of all the books that I've read about the 80s, they all seem to be set in different, um, you know, regions. But pre- predominantly, it seems like the Northeast. I've, mm-hmm. Nashville's a first for me. Uh, you grew up in Nashville, correct? Yes, I did. It Was it as popular then as it is now? No, not at all. Well, country. it's always been Country Music City, USA. I would say going back to the mid-19, uh, sorry, the mid-20th century, um, it's been huge for country music. You had the Grand Ole Opry, Minnie Pearl, all of that. Um, but no, it was not the food and culture and music mecca that it is now. I actually, I say, I joke that it got cool after I left. So I try not to take that personally. Um, I've been in the Northeast myself for about since 2005. And it but just growing up, I mean, it was suburbs, it was working at the mall, it was, you know, if I went downtown to Second Avenue, there were a lot of honky-tonk bars, which there are now, but it didn't look like it does now, and it just wasn't the place to be. We had a theme park, and that was very popular, and that was a big tourist destination, and then we had Fanfare, which was the country music festival, I think it's now called CMA Fest, um, but other than that, like, no, it was not it was not the, the, the cultural 
phenomenon that it is now. And I love it now. But growing up, I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> it's also the setting for your anti-Bell series of books. What what makes mm-hmm. it so attractive as a setting? Is it is it because you have that much personal knowledge about the city that you can that you can easily set the scene there? Or is there something else that's inherently kind of unique about this a town that makes, you know, for great fiction? I think it is a great town for fiction because of its flavor, I guess, if you will. It is, I mean, yes, there is a certain homage to my hometown. I do appreciate it. And I love going back. Like I am going, I've gone a couple times this year. I'm always down for a trip to Nashville, but the way the music in the city infuses into pretty much every aspect of life. It's so real and authentic, right? It almost seems like it would be like a caricature, but it's not. Uh, So I I think that that's just like creates a very beautiful, unique scene. And it's also a big, small town. So small town romance is very popular right now. And I don't purport to write small town, but Nashville is big, but it's so community and you go and you, you know people and you find the places that you go, right? And so although there are many, many places one could go listen to music or go eat, you kind of get your places and your neighborhood. And therefore, you build this, this community there that I think is really nice and special. And certainly it happens in other places. But there's something about the coming together of like the new hip Nashville with this sort of intrinsic musical backbone that I think is just absolutely fantastic. And it is, it is very important in my series. I, I love writing about my hometown. In the eighties, people who are into new wave music, um, post-punk, um, the Minneapolis sound, it seems like Nashville would have been a hard place for them to fit in. Mm-hmm. Am, I, yeah. am I just guessing wrong in there? You're not guessing wrong. Um, I did a lot. That was one thing I really researched uh, to understand because my characters in The Not-So-Nice Girl are recent college grads and they're all really into like The Cure and Depeche Mode and sort of the indie underground. So I did a lot of research on what kind of underground or indie rock was going on in Nashville. I can't remember the name. It's some sort of random band that I had never heard of. Something Blue Jeans. Um <laughs> But you had a couple of dive bars and places for indie indie music, such as Exit Inn, um, which was a very famous indie place. I mean, going into the 90s, I think in the 90s, with the sort of advent of the Seattle sound, you got a lot of a bigger movement of young people very interested in that music. But back in the 80s, you were not seeing a lot of an indie music scene or an underground scene. I mean, of course, there was one, but it just wasn't as prolific as other areas. And it would take a bit longer to spring up. So, yeah, not a whole lot. I mean, yes, a lot of shows came to Nashville because Nashville is a music city. But so I think in my book, they're going to um, Echo and the Bunnymen, which was accurate. I looked that up. Um, But yeah, so definitely not the place for your indie underground scene overall yeah i don't think i'd want to wear an echo and the bunnyman t-shirt to a mall in nashville in the 80s <laughs> i think that's a good way to get yourself threatened i i got threatened in tampa bay florida in the 80s for wearing a frankie goes to hollywood shirt to the mall really yeah so i just wow. yeah it doesn't um sometimes the new way doesn't go so well over in the, the smaller towns uh yeah and i definitely would say i took artistic license with that i mean they're not doing a lot they don't come into contact with a lot of people outside of their group other than right. the people they already know. 
So you're not seeing them going up against like the man other than, I mean, the parents are important and that's sort of like Eleanor's parents embody kind of an old archaic system, which is a super important theme in the book. But in terms of just encountering others or, you know, like cut your hair hippie kind of thing, which was still, I would say in small towns, specifically in the South, pretty not uncommon in the 80s all the way into, you know, but yeah, you don't see a lot of that. Although I do imagine at that time, given how much smaller it was and how much smaller the world was that, yeah, there were definitely things you probably didn't want to support going around. So, so the not so nice girl follows the story of Eleanor who's spending the summer of 86 in Nashville with her friends. And her goal is to avoid uh, any drama, um, mm-hmm. either boyfriend wise or family wise. Of course, she gets exactly what she does not want. <laughs> Literally starting at the very top of the book by meeting a boy named Sam at a record shop and beginning a secret romance. Um, where did you get the inspiration for the plot? Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. I would say just my brain. That's like the short answer there. Um, my parents were fell in love inside of a friend group, but this is not their story in any way, shape or form. I don't normally do friends to love romances. I generally kind of get stuck on them, although this one came together very nicely. I had the idea of sort of an outcast girl and like coming into this friend group and falling in love. So I like the idea of like the college, post-college crew and her finding her place in that um, and there, thereby finding her home. But other than that, just in sort of the plot and how they get together and everything, I guess just came out of the brain. <laughs> is, is there, how much of Eleanor is in you? Not a whole lot. Although I think it is arguable that every single character you write, even, you know, other genders or other, like, I don't know, whatever, is always a little bit you. Eleanor is not a lot of me. Uh, her daughter, Celeste, is a lot more like me. So that's the character you meet in Not Suitable for Work. But Eleanor, I don't know. I, I have a strong relationship with my mother. I um, I never really felt that kind of lost. Although I think we're always, I would say if there was anything, it was more like coming to terms with not being the nice girl. I think that is something that re- resonates with me, like learning to just be you, right? Just be yourself and be okay with that. Um, that would definitely be uh, a, a common theme. But no, Eleanor is not not extremely like me. It was difficult to write her at first. I had to figure out her motivations. But she, she is a very strong woman, so I'll take that one too. I, I think the thing that, that hooked me on this book so quickly was the speed at which it takes off. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's almost immediate that Eleanor meets Sam in the record shop and things get a little toasty in the, mm-hmm. in the record listening booth. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there the first night I was reading going, wow, okay, we're off to a, this is not going to be one of those uh, like slow, slow, slow rolling romances. We're going to get right to it here. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you, and I don't know if there's an easy way to ask you this. Um, there's a few sex scenes in the book. Uh, I am a writer. I have never had an opportunity to write about sex, nor have I ever been assigned to write a story about sex. Um, it, what are the challenges? What, I mean, what is the process like when you, when you're, when you sit down to write a story where two people are going to have sex and you're going to actively describe the, the encounter. Have you ever written a fight scene? I, you know, I don't think that I have. Okay. They're remarkably similar, different verbs, different nouns. 
the actual mechanics of writing a sex scene are interesting because uh, similar to a fight scene, there are usually two people, uh, sometimes more depends on your genre, but <laughs> there are usually two people and they are engaged in very close, like literal proximity movements. And so describing that without repeating something again and again and again is very difficult. So the word could be punch or it could be thrust. But either way, it's you have to be really careful. And you also have to think through where are people's hands? Where are they? You know, where are they in position to each other? And sort of both like glossing things, but also making sure you're not repeating things over and over. That's the mechanics of doing it. In terms of the emotions of doing it, you know you're going to go there. You make that decision before you, I would say probably before you build, you do the book. I don't think, I don't know any romance writer who's like, well, is it going to be steamy or not? Like, it's either going to be steamy or it's not. <laughs> but when you get to the scene, you're like, all right. And then you just go. And it's like any other scene, I guess. But I mean, I'm not going to lie. They are fun to write. Um they're very, they're very amusing. And you're like, Oh, well, I've done that. That's fun. But yeah, I really think that the mechanics of it and making sure that you're describing logically what's happening is the most technical piece of it. I, I like the point you make about, you know, where the hands are. Cause I remember when I was reading it thinking you've storyboarded this quite well in the sense that <laughs> I could picture exactly where they are and, and where their hands are, where their bodies are, the whole nine yards. It, it's, mm-hmm. It's not one of those things where you leave a whole lot. Um, and I, I don't mean this in a weird way. You don't leave a lot to the imagination. You're very specific. And so that when people read it, they, they can put themselves in, you know, either one of those mm-hmm. person's minds. Um, contrast that with the challenges of writing a good romance. What, <clears throat> what are the challenges there? What are the things that a good romance mm. uh, book has to have? That's a really great question. Um, so, yeah, writing a sex scene, it takes a skill of the conscious narration, for sure. Writing a romance, no matter the heat level, I would say, to me, is about really building characters that you care about. Because pretty much anybody can fall in love. But if you're going to create a story that really catches people, I think that your characters have to be people that they see themselves in, in some way, shape, or form. I think there are many, many, many other takes on this, but for my own personal brand of romance, I'm always focused on creating situations and people who feel like people you might know. And I think that being able to connect with them and really cheer them on from a place of understanding is the way I work to build compelling stories. Now, there are many other ways, you know, you can have alpha billionaires and you can have all kinds of things. And those are fun too. They're, they're, they track more as fantasy to me, which I think is also a great thing. But my trademark line is books to make you laugh, cry, and swoon. I really want to depict the human condition of being messy and vulnerable as you fall in love. And that, to me, is what makes a romance. When, you, when a reader is finished with this book, what is the feeling or the takeaway that you want them to have? It's okay to be me. I am enough, is what I would like for people to think when they read this. When you look at both Sam and Eleanor and the way in which they come into their own by just realizing that they aren't the nice girl or the, you know, husband material. They are who they are. And that is a complex mosaic of insecurities, talents, beauty, and messiness. And so walking away from this book, if somebody's reading it and it's like, well, A, hope I hope they think that was fun. But I also hope they think, yeah, I'm it's okay to be me. I don't have to be so hard on myself. 
I, I, I remember take, uh, when I finished, I, I felt the same way. Um, the idea of that I don't have to fit myself into a particular mold as a person. Um, and, and I was kind of eager to know where the characters went from there, but, but so you don't have to answer my question. If, is there a sequel? Because apparently there is. Okay, so I will tell you a couple of fun things. Number one, yes, there is a sequel. It is the story, it, it, but it happens many years in the future. Don't count the math, like we said in the beginning. Um, but, however, there will also be a direct sequel to this book, which will come out in 2024. I'm very excited to say I'm going to continue to work with Small Town Girl Publishing. This book, however, will be putting us in the early 90s, and it will be the story of Sam's brother, Brian. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so we will see Sam and Eleanor having their own like their drama is all settled they're all settled down but uh it's time for sam's playboy brother to go through <laughs> his own <laughs> happily ever after oh man that that really cheers me up i, I was really I'm, I'm really happy to hear that because i really want this story to continue i was i was sad that i got through it so quickly in, mm-hmm. in other words you could well, have written another 300 pages i would have been happy <laughs> that's a great honor i will tell you so yes so there will be a direct sequel and you'll see them there you do see them as as the parents in Not Suitable for Work, but you also see them in Off the Record, which is my second book in my series, because um, Off the Record is about Celeste's cousin, Nick, who is Jen and Alex's son. So the, the characters, so for those of you who have not yet read The Not-So-Nice Girl, you will see a couple of little side love stories going on. And so one of those side love stories is the root or is the parents of the second book in my series. It's a whole world I've created. I've got a whole world. <laughs> I love it. This is great. It's yeah, smart. It's fun. Um, well, I'd like to end every podcast with what I call the podcast time machine question. Mm. Um, if we think of our podcast as a time machine that we own and as owners, uh, I can grant you a seat on the time machine so that you can go back in time to any time to either change an event give yourself, give your younger self some advice or just even witness an event you missed the first time around. Um, if I gave you that seat on the podcast time machine, where would you go and what would you do? I only get one answer. You, you're a writer. You'd be creative. You can find a way to squeeze two out of that if you wanted to. Well, I can't because the timeline is going to be different. If I was going back in my own timeline, I would tell my younger self to not be so hard on me. It was going to be okay. But if I was going back to witness something like in history, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm flipping through the moments that I'm choosing. Cause I know exactly where I'm going. I'm just going to figure out the right moment. I'm going to say the cavern club in 1962 to see the Beatles before they got big. Wow. <laughs> hey, you're the first one to do that one. You don't know how many oh. times I get, Oh, I just want to see live aid. I'm like, okay. Oh, oh. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I, I skipped the 80s altogether. Um, I know. I just like zoomed straight back. But I am such a Beatles fan that it's not even funny. So if I really could go anywhere, it would be to either see that or see the rooftop concert, uh, like the Let It Be when they all when it ended in 60, 69. So sure. No, that's that's it's, that's truly a superb answer. I'm, well, I'm impressed. Uh, for people looking to pick up your book, where's what's the best way for them to, to either find out more about it or, or to buy a copy? Well, you can always go to my website, authorskymcdonald.com, um, and I'm happy to do a signed copy. There's a, a button on the page where you can actually order an autographed copy. If you are looking for an ebook, I highly recommend Amazon, but really anywhere you buy books online, you can get it. There are a few uh, stores, especially locally to Nashville, such as Novelette, where you can pick it up. But really, anywhere you buy books online, you will find it. So I am I am happy to support any of the places that you like your platform, paperback and ebook. 
John McDonald, thank you for your time. I uh, can't wait to read the next installment. Oh, thank you so much. There you go. That was a fun conversation. Oh, I got to tell you, I love when he, she starts talking about, you guys are talking about the sex scenes and comparing it to a fighting scene. It, it all kind of clicks. You're like, yeah, it's, this may be the weirdest thing I've ever said in my life. It's a cooperative kind of combat. It's not really combat, but you're both, it's a physical interaction, right? If you're doing it right. It's all about where you put your hands. Yeah. It's about intent, Um, I'm told, and consent. It's funny because when I read it and and I saw, I read the sex scene and I thought, okay, I'm going to have to ask her about this, but how do I ask her about this without being creepy? I think you pulled it off. Okay, good. Because certainly my goal. Hey, I can be creepy. Tell me, is that inspired by something you actually did? No. That was, nice thing. <laughs> that was interesting, too, because I thought for sure that one of these characters was more or less inspired by her. And I was trying to figure out, well, who is she in this story? Yeah. But then when she explains that this is kind of a prequel to her other books, mm-hmm. then you're like, ah. She's just expanding kind of, on characters she already kind of knew or in, you know, created yeah. for other things. Yeah, smart. Yeah, smart. It's good. And and the, I like the idea that she's going to write a, a direct sequel to this soon, so I'm looking forward to that. You're totally up for it, my friend. By the way, if you're looking to pick up a copy of The Not-So-Nice Girl, it's available from Small Town Girl Publishing, which also produced the hair metal trivia book we featured a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, from it, the bros. Yep. It's also available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. I read it on my Kindle, which is pretty much where I read everything. Uh, and if you want to read more about the book, go to smalltowngirlpublishing.com or go to the author's website, www.authorskymcdonald.com. So speaking of books, Steve, uh, attentive listeners will remember that you are working on a book yourself. How's that coming? Yeah, it helps to be unemployed. <laughs> All the best calendar, writers are. <laughs> your calendar opens wide up for uh, Just working me and on my books. Typewriter. All work and no play makes Steve adult. There's already an outline. For, I have an outline for it. I think it's got 24 chapters oh. in it. And um, maybe seven or eight chapters are done. And then I, I just got back. I, I, I send these old podcast out to be transcribed that's like a third of the book dude that's awesome <laughs> and uh i just got the files back for nancy wilson from heart stan ridgeway you know from wall of voodoo mm-hmm. kenny loggins and uh, chuck Pinozo from stick so like ancient ancient interviews from like the first five years yeah but those are i mean they're great interviews i remember listening to the stan ridgeway interview i was taking the train on my way into work at disney and i remember listening to the kenny loggins interview driving home from my job in glendale kenny loggins was the first interview we did that i thought okay we hit that one out of the park like that was a great interview like if they all went this well that would wouldn't that life be wonderful i mean he was if um, i remember correctly which i don't know why i wouldn't because i'm a freaking genius um <laughs> He was a very willing participant in the conversation. He had a lot to say. He was very giving with his answers. It's a good interview. He sang. He sang at one point a little bit. So that's always nice. You got that going for you. Yeah. Um, In fact, I'm seeing him again in concert. He's doing his farewell tour right now. He's coming through Clearwater in September. Okay. In fact, we were just making hotel reservations for that. We're going over there. There's a brand new outdoor theater. Right on the Clearwater waterfront. Can you be outdoors and, uh, in September in Clearwater? I don't recommend it. 
But for Kenny Loggins, you'll make an exception. <laughs> I'll be all right. <laughs> Don't nobody worry about Spears. You know what you should be worrying about? The Suggies. Hey, it's time for a Stuck in the Arcade where we play a snippet of a video game that I never heard of, and but yet Brad spent the better part of every paycheck on. And if you get it right, you're entering into the drawing for a postal-friendly bottle opener. Um, inquiring minds want to know, are we caught up on sending out all the bottle openers? Oh, is that I, something I, shiny over there? Wait, I just saw something <laughs> over your shoulder, Steve. They will go out before I go on vacation. Promise. Okay. Promise. <laughs> they have to go out this weekend. I have to catch up. I'm, you know, oh, so I know, I know. Every, it's, it's like everyone my work understands coverage that. plan. Like before I go on vacation, I have to make sure that like all my tasks are covered by another teammate. That's one of the things I have to do before I go. Do you still subscribe to like a print newspaper? Do you have to like stop your paper when you leave town? You know, it's funny you would say that. We just turned off the print newspaper. Like uh, we were still getting the the L.A. Times on Saturday and Sunday, and then the Saturday edition started being like fifteen pages. And I'm like, what? Get it out of here. The wind kicks up. It'll just yeah. Disappear it reminded down the me road. of the paper I used to deliver in a town of less than ten thousand people. So, um, we still subscribe to electronically, but we don't get a physical newspaper anymore. I've lived in Orlando now for ten years ish, okay. a little over ten years, and I just now, over the last seven months, started getting the local paper again okay. because I just I don't know why I just like I live in a neighborhood where it seems like everybody gets it, so I get it now and. It actually, they still have seven day a week delivery. And it's, yeah. so I sit there and I have my breakfast and I criticize the You're coverage like, this writing's and the news terrible. No, not the writing so much as the, as the news judgment. Like, this should, uh, why is this on page five? This should be on page one. Stuff like that. I do, you know, and the wife, the wife listens, you know, compassionately or sympathetically or with, with empathy, I guess. I'm searching for the right word. I but, think that works. Yeah. But the trouble is, the last time we went on vacation and we hit stop on the newspaper, they know stop. Not, it not takes, so just, it just yeah. Kept, oh, there's. I wonder if anyone's home. There's a pile of newspapers on the driveway. Right. I feel like I have to like stop the newspaper five days before I go on vacation to make sure that they actually mm, stop. Yeah. And then it's just this is way too much conversation about this. But this is uh, good. I like it. Um, so uh, uh, speaking of old things that we used to spend a lot of time and money on, like newspapers, arcade games. Okay. Do we have From an episode arcade game six, last time? We, no, yeah, we did. From episode 671, here was the Mystery Arcade sound. That's Double Dragon. Do I lose points for not remembering this game? No, I don't think so. You know, Steve, you and I are the same age within a few months, and we tend to pull our deepest core value memories from the first half of the 80s because that's when we were in the sweet spot, oh. right? Oh, this so is a this 1987, later like, uh. beat-em-up kind of side-scroller, kung-fu fighting Oh, okay, okay. I, I think I know which one you're talking about. I don't know that now. I ever played it, but I just I said, you know what, we gotta get outside the, the frogger zone here and, and, and move into the second half of the decade. Yeah. Know? We have listeners that are from the second half of the decade, I know. And, you know, respect to you people too. 
Anyway, we did get some winners. Brad, why don't you name them? Here we go. Winners this week include Alex Murdoch, Chip from Miami, Jeff in Utah, Chad in NorCal, and Chad in Hollister. We got a lot of Chads playing video games this week. <laughs> okay, let's spin the wheel and find out who's the winner. Okay, here we go. Yeah, mini spin for a mini list of winners. Looks like it's going to land on Chip from Miami. Excellent. Uh, Chip, send us your snail mail address. And uh, sometime in this millennia, you will get. <gasps> okay, that hurts. But I it's fair. mean that. It's you fair. You know how I mean it. It's, we all have issues. <laughs> Mine are just more psychological in nature. Uh, in the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery Arcade Sound. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. Boy, I'm really feeling kind of snappy today. Snap, snap, snap. And tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. Please, please tell me now. Please, please tell me now. Hey, it's time for Please, Please Tell Me Now, PPTMN, where the listeners email us in with a question. Got a good one this week from Martin in Vancouver. Nice. It's a Canadian city. Am I pronouncing it right? It's West Coast. I think you got it. I think you crushed it. It could be Vancouver, but I don't think so. Vancouver. Okay. Uh, Should I read this, Steve? Yeah, Brad, give it a swirl while I sit here and drink my non-alcoholic beverage for three weeks in a row. Okay, Martin writes, we seem to hear a relatively small number of 80s songs over and over and over. Yeah, testify, my friend. But what artists or tracks from the 80s do you personally never hear anymore but wish you did? Here are a few I came up with. Any of the hits from the Moody Blues Long Distance Voyager album. Gemini Dream, Talking Out of Turn. Alan Parsons Project, so many good tracks. Eye in the Sky, Time, which does keep flowing like a river to the sea. Golden Earring, Twilight Zone. I say I hear that quite a bit. But he does say the full-length eight-minute version, which I don't think I've heard in a decade. Holland Oats, not their coolest, but their 1980 album Voices has so many great songs, including Kiss on My List. I mean, they, they don't Oates, play that do for him. You hear the top three in Holland Oats catalog, and then. Yes. Like if, Kiss on My List, not so much. Yeah. But Steve, your kiss is on my list of the things I don't want to experience. Yes. Uh, he's got a couple more here. Paul Young, Secret of Association. I occasionally hear Every Time You Go Away, but what about I'm Going to Tear Your Playhouse Down? Mm, mm. Good pick. Yeah, it is. And then his last one, John and Vangelis, the friends of Mr. Cairo. Possibly because that's 12 minutes long, Martin. <laughs> I could go on, but I know you guys are busy, so I will stop there. Keep up the great work. Cheers. Martino in Vancouver. Funny he mentioned Paul Young. I have a song of his that we'll be playing on the next podcast, assuming we go in order. <laughs> oh, order smorder. It's a deep cut from his album No Parlay, which just celebrated 40 years. Oof. And the song's called Broken Man. We'll, we'll play it for that episode. Okay. Any song from Oingo Boingo that is not Weird Science would be on my list. Yeah. Any song from Thomas Dolby that's not She Blinded Me With Science. The two I'd pick, Europa and the Pirate Twins or One of Our Submarines. Mm, solid choices. So, anyway, what about you? funny you would mention oingo boingo yesterday i was in the car and i heard not my slave for the first time in i don't know a very long time and yeah no that kidding was, that was a bop i was bopping that was great 
I know you might not believe me, Steve, but Simple Minds has other songs besides Don't You Forget About Me. And I know this is outside of the decade slightly, but 1991's See the Lights is a great track. Mm. Uh, I don't know how you feel about Robert Plant's solo, but Big Log off of his 1983 release, The Principle of Moments, is just a great cruising song or just like vegging out with a cocktail song. It's a great, great track. You got anything else on your list? To be honest, I'm studying up right now on 38 Special because I'm supposed to have Don Barnes, the lead singer, on the Ooh. podcast in the next couple of weeks. Name drop. So I've been trying to go a little deeper into their catalog. D- two songs from soundtracks that they never play anymore. Uh, they play them in concert because I looked at their set list. Oh, but they don't, okay. I never hear them on the radio, which is Back to Paradise from the Revenge of the Nerds 2 soundtrack. Nerds in Paradise. <laughs> I don't think I can uh, even hum a bar of that. Uh, if you heard it, you'd be like, oh, I know that song. And okay. then Teacher, Teacher from the Teacher soundtrack that with uh, Nick Nolte and Ralph Macchio. That one I do know, Teacher, Teacher, Can You Teach Me? Yeah. yeah well, it's yeah. in the name, buddy, so I guess I can. <laughs> it's nice to go a little deep on, on some of these bands that you know you're going to hear on the cruise, and then those are two of them. And then there's a... Uh, for some reason, my YouTube algorithm keeps wanting to play the video for Back Where You Belong by 38 Special. If you look at it, it's like a takeoff on Hill Street Blues. Oh, the video. Th- I'm like, I don't yeah, hear that. Not- <laughs> Hill Street Blues is a piano theme, Steve. What are you talking about? No, no, the video. The, the video, video I got is, you. Took me that's what I'm saying. YouTube wants to keep playing the video for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but anyway, no, that's that's it. One last one that occurred to me, and you, I never hear this band hits or even if they weren't hits i never hear anything from this maybe you hear some bjork but when's the last time you heard a song from the sugar cubes duh motor crash yeah. i love that song i love that song. yeah and that's birthday's a, a great song too it's it's just weird it's quirky you can see like here comes bjork she's <laughs> gonna tantalize you with her oddness Ah, oddness is tantalizing. It can be. Uh, Anyway, if you have a question for us, just email it to us and put PPTMN in the subject line. We'll be right back after this commercial break. I speak to every woman who still believes in romance, the way it used to be. There is an exciting new collection of romance novels called Silhouette Romances. Silhouette heroes are strong, responsible men who can be loving and tender. The heroines fresh, young, and full of hope. They meet in exotic places about which you will learn much. And silhouettes have such beautiful endings. New silhouette romances. Romance the way it used to be and could be again. And we're back. Got a few minutes left. What's on your mind, Brad? So, Steve, the story set in Nashville. You ever been to Nashville? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah. But not for very long. Yeah. I've been there once. I was, I don't know, 15 maybe? I think it was a sophomore in high school. Went for a band competition. Oh. Yeah. So like You mean like marching band, just yeah, to be specific. Like, yeah, march yeah, yes, yes. Um, you want to come see my band? We're playing on Friday. What's the name of your band? Marching. <laughs> I wish that was my joke. God, I wish that was my joke. I mean it was a good trip. We went to Grand Ole Opry, we did our marching thing, we went to Opryland and rode plume rides and whatever else. Flume rides, I guess they're not plume rides. That'd be a totally different ride. <laughs> It was fun. We had a good time. But that's the only time I've ever been. I've not ever been as an adult. Uh, so I hear good it's, things. It's changed. I, I I was there maybe 25, 30 years ago maybe. 
So in the and, in the 90s. Yeah, the 90s. And it just, I, I didn't remember thinking much of it, to be honest. I'm not trying to be mean. Yeah. But, I mean, it was just, I, you know, it was just a, a town in Tennessee. And it just, I don't think I went and saw anything. I think we were just passing through or something like that. And uh, okay. it just didn't yeah. occur to me to stop and do it. Now, do I want to go back? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've, I've heard great things. I've heard that whatever you do, don't ever order the hot chicken. Oh, that's not my thing. I don't need to torture myself when I'm eating food. <laughs> I can't. I can't eat really, really spicy food anymore. Yeah. It's, those days are gone. I mean, I like, like spicy I, food, but Katie absolutely does not, and so we don't eat that much of it. But I just, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have the, the stamina for whatever you want to call. It. I mean, I know you build up a resistance to that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to go, and I just, I just, I'm not a country music fan at all, and yeah, I don't really want to. I don't want to spend any time in what what someone might deem as a honky tonk, and I know I'm people who are probably been to Nashville are probably just wincing, going, yeah, it's not like that anymore, Steve. But here's the thing: it's got to be a little bit yeah, like it. it. I think you're right, and I, I've been very vocal on my opinion of country music on this podcast, wouldn't you say? Yes, the music of my oppressors. That said, I think it would be really fun to go and because, like, look, good live music is good live music. If people can play their instruments, I want to see it and I want to hear it. And if you can't find a place like that in Nashville, like, your ears are broken. And it's possible that my ears are broken. I yeah. a lot of Devo. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think that that would be the part that I would like is going to a bar where they had a good band playing that, and just Letting the wa- letting the music wash over me because li- live is always different than recorded, right? It just is. It should yeah. be anyway. I, I, Don't tell Rick Ocasek that. But you know. and, and, uh, the I, I did watch the TV show Nashville. Oh for, well, for a little while. You're basically a native. I, I I just I did that because I like Connie Britton, but that was about it. Yeah, so fair enough. Anyway, the book "The Not So Nice Girl." I recommend it. It's a nice, fun summer read. Light, easy to get through, entertaining. And uh, you tell me whether the ending is happy or sad. But in the meantime, Brad and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. In the meantime, Steve Spears is stuck in the 80s. Wah, 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 wah.